Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? The Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. This is episode 98, one episode closer to the triple digits. And Graham McMillan and I are ready to get into some four-color monkey business in just a little less than two hours. This time, we talk about Rob Liefeld versus DC, the betrayal of the Planet of the Apes, the Rocketeer, Cargo, Doom, Amazing Spider-Man 692, Before Watchmen, Dr. Manhattan, Batman Incorporated number 3, the sequel Schuster Lawsuit Against DC, Captain America, the First Avenger, The Bourne Legacy, Battleship, and yes, of course, Bunheads. We also have a question for you, the listener, to answer, and we invite you over to SavageCritic.com to do so, as well as to check out our show notes. We hope you enjoy, and as always... Thanks for listening. Go! <laughs> I have to say, I heard it is a bit more peppier when you sent your text Go! <laughs> yeah, a little more like Go! that. Go! Go team! Yay! <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, sir, welcome back to the old Indeed. wedding. Hi. Hi, world. Hi, listeners. How are things? Uh, I don't know if you saw my tweet earlier on, but it's one of those it's one of those weeks where I'm like, I'll get ahead of things and then something will happen. <laughs> so it's been kind of a crazy week despite your plans to have the opposite of that happen? Uh, yes. Let let's just say that if anyone reads my stuff in Newsarama and thinks, Graham's writing a lot more for Newsarama, I am. If anyone thinks that I'm doing that because I'm getting paid more, I'm not. Oh! <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where, uh, well, yesterday's thing, yesterday's extra was the um, Superman Wonder Woman thing. Uh-huh. Uh, which happened actually because it was someone else's idea and they did not have time to write it. And I was like, I'll write it, thinking that that meant I didn't have to do a top 10 this week. And then I was told today that I did. Oh, <laughs> what? Oh. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's been that sort of week. And I, I very quickly, it's not all newsrama, but like there's been a lot of that happening. There's been a lot of me saying, oh, I'll do that, thinking that that gets me out of something else. Mm. And then finding out that it doesn't get me out of that other thing. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean... I it, I really feel it this week. That's only because I also have the newsletter to do for Brian. Ooh. Um, but it, I mean, the last few it's been like that for like three weeks. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's I, I mean, what happened last week was uh, it, literally out of nowhere. I ended up writing a eleven hundred word essay about the Superman lawsuit for Newsarama. <laughs> That that was, you know, Friday morning. Mike mm-hmm. was like, can you write this up? Because you, you know what the story is, right? And I was like, sure, thinking 300 words at most. And, but I forgot it's such a complicated case oh, that I got 1,100 words into it. And I was like, I've literally only talked about one side of the lawsuit. Oh, I only God. talked about the Schuster side. I didn't talk about the Seagull side at all. Oh, and I was man. like, you know what? I'm, I'm stopping it here. Because the most recent news was about the Schusters. I was going to be like, the Seagulls are another story. Because otherwise, holy crap, I could have gone... Like, I, you could easily, easily write a book about that, the history of that lawsuit. Right. It is crazy. Yeah, the various twists and turns that it's taken, um, especially with all the Toblerov stuff. Oh, God, yeah, the Toblerov... When you discover the Toblerov 
if he get if both the Siegel and Schuster lawsuits succeed, which right now they're both set up to do, copyright mm-hmm. reversion is exists and has been ratified for both as far as I know. Um, and if those go through, the person who owns most of Superman will be Mark Tobaroff. Oh, that blows my mind. Uh, so you know, it's almost you know for that I'm almost tempted to say that I hope that DC holds on to it, mm-hmm. just because I for some reason I trust them more not to completely just shamelessly well, you... exploit it than, right. than I do Tobarov. Um But I mean, you look back, you see things like uh, Schuster's sister. Mm-hmm. After Schuster died, uh, was saddled with like an insane amount of debt. It turns out Schuster was essentially just spending everything as it came in and, and far out spending what he, he had coming in. Mm-hmm. And so he died and suddenly, because he's the executor of the state, she is left with like tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt to pay off. Mm-hmm. And she writes to DC, which is kind of amazing. And it's basically mm-hmm. like, will you guys pay for this? Because you were always really nice to him before. Mm-hmm. And stunningly, DC are like, Sure. Okay, we will. We'll pay off all his debt. Mm-hmm. We just want you to sign this thing that says you're going to ask for the copyright of Superman back. Wow. And here's the thing: they sign it. Mm-hmm. They have no. They can't. They can't do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they had no legal say over that anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good God. It's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy situation. It, it really is. And then, so there's... Cause all of this is in the public record because DC have essentially filed all these mm-hmm. letters between, the, the, between these parties as part of their, their filing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got... It's something like 10 years of letters between... God, I've forgotten her name now. I want to say maybe Joan... Yeah, jo- Joan, Joan or Joanne or something. Or maybe Siegel? that's maybe that's Siegel. No, yeah, yeah, I know it's, it's Siegel, whatever, yeah. whatever the Schuster, whoever the mm-hmm. Schuster, the sister is. She is writing to Paul Levitz because Paul Levitz essentially gets set up as you're the contact, you're the Time Warner contract for this woman, and she will just she'll write and in the sweetest way possible try and exhort more money out. But it's like she's sending letters like I just want to remind you I would never go after the copyright of Superman, but. Right. If you guys could give us this bit more money, that we'd be really grateful. And it's, 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 you know, you can't, it's one of those things like, you can't blame her, but she's completely exhorting them. Right. And then, so, but after 10 years of this, her son becomes the executor of the estate and mm-hmm. immediately signs with Tober. Immediately. And they file the termination of copyright. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Holy smokes. So, I mean, on one hand, part of me is like, I can't even imagine what DC thought after 10 years of this one being like, I'd never do it, I'd never do it, I'd never do it, I'd never do it, we've done it. Right, right. Well, I assume she kept her word, she just happened to pass away and the son had... No, as far as, as far as I know, she was still alive. Like, he got, he got control of the state just before she died. Uh Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, because definitely the, the filing, the Tobaroff filing lists her as alive. Oh, Interesting. But the her husband is no longer alive, so it might literally right. be when the father died past the son. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 crazy, it, and so I mean, you look into it and you really do become incredibly conflicted as to who you hope wins. 
Yeah, that's kind of rough. I mean, and it's, it's, it's all because it's all because of Tobaroff. You know, without mm-hmm. Tobaroff, you'd be like, well, the families are going to get it. Even if the families get it, they're probably going to keep it with DC. So DC should just fucking give them the copyright, right? And then give them tremendous amounts of, of money, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you've got Tobaroff coming in; he'll own fifty-five percent of of the of the character of. Uh, and it's not just Superman, I should say. There's, there's a it lists. There's a lawsuit where it lists everything, mm-hmm. and it's Superman, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Superbite. Like it's a weird collection of stuff. It's not all the stuff from Action One. Right. No. 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 It's stuff that I imagine that they went on to create either separately or together. Because I'm sure that Siegel was. I mean, that was the big thing. Was Siegel created Superboy? During the course of working for DC in the fifties, or yeah, exactly, uh, yeah, afterwards. But mm-hmm. don't forget, DC uh, Siegel had created Superboy before that. Mm. He he had offered Superboy to uh, DC earlier, and they mm-hmm. turned him down. Oh, I see. That's how he sort of has the standing for having it as having created it, as opposed to any sort of work for hire shenanigans type thing. Yeah. Uh, wow. So, so yeah, the whole thing is just I, I really did become like weirdly I don't know who I want to win. Like I know who I want to lose. Who is Mark Toberoff? <laughs> <laughs> just because I don't know. I just I, for some reason and I, you know this is going to get all our commenters being like, why are you saying this? The company is in the wrong. Um, there's just something about Toberoff I find exceptionally slimy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I want. The Siegel and Schuster families to have it. I want the estates to have it, mm-hmm. but they won't get it. Right. But at the same time, owning part of it is better than owning none of it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, yeah, certainly for them. So, oh, yeah. conflicted, conflicted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so I, I ended up writing that last week. Mm-hmm. I think it was going to be really easy, and it was not. Um, right. And so it really has been this weird few weeks where i'm like sure and then you know cut to three o'clock that afternoon and i'm like oh god i'm so behind on everything Mm -hmm. um so yeah i've i'm i'm in this weird sense of like i am super stressed and i have no idea why i've brought it all on myself uh well you know it does seem to me uh that perhaps a useful negotiating tip in the future is is well, or saying, yes, but this gets me out of blankety-blank, you know, rather than just sort of being kind of like, well, but surely, you know, yeah, actually. Say ahead of time, shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> It might help. It might help. I admit, I am. I uh, probably negotiate even worse than you do, uh, but uh, it seems from, from an outsider's perspective. Um, Publishers. Jeff negotiates worse than I do, which means you should all ask him to do stuff right now. Yeah, you pretty much should, because it'd be like, hey, we got a couple of old subway tokens. Like, okay, okay, I'm your new Rob Liefeld. Um, see, that was topical, wasn't it? Can we talk about Rob Liefeld in DC, or is that like not topical enough? How do you feel about Rob Liefeld in DC? You know, I, I really considering my opinion for Rob Liefeld is impressively low. Um, I didn't, so I didn't really feel sorry for him, but I did kind of get that sense of, um, considering, considering everything from the outside seems to suggest that, uh, uh, 
if Liefeld wasn't in the most favored nations status, he was certainly in the more favored of the nations. Um, and so I think it's, you know, despite the fact that I am inclined to believe almost none of what Liefeld says, I still found it to be kind of a remarkable black eye against DC and how DC editorial appears to be handling the quote unquote talent. Oh, exactly. so. I thought it was, I thought it was really humiliating for DC in, mm-hmm. in a staggering way. Because mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, Liefeld has he's you know, Hawk and Dove was one of the first books cancelled, and they gave him three books to replace it. Yeah, you know that does not happen if you're not, I don't know, comfortable with the people. Mm-hmm. They say, mm-hmm. and do that, and then to name the editor. Oh, did he name the editor? Name the editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I. Like weirdly conflicted about naming the editor, it's kind of like, oh, that's maybe a bit too much. But at the same time, he must have been pissed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Maybe like it's this guy, which is what he did. I mean, he he his tweet was something along the lines of, you know, I wonder what will happen next time a DC editor tries to measure his pecker against mine. Ha ha, that's not going to happen again. Oh, by the way, it's this guy. Wow. So he really did break out the name. God, I missed the update where he actually names the editor. I sort of want to know that now, of course. Uh, It's on my Comics Alliance story for it. So hang on. Let's see. Trying to get to. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, he seemed seemed to be someone who had been pushed – and then pushed further and completely just snapped. Do you not think? Yeah. I mean, he'd already, mm-hmm. He was leaving in the new year. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden, like, yeah, my next issues are the ones coming out next month. Yeah, the zero issues or whatever, and then that's it. Um, was Brian Smith, who's apparently an associate editor. This is the other thing about DC. I have no fucking idea who their editors are anymore. Yeah, well, it sounds like. I mean, because of course it's like there's the there's the group editors, then there's the editors, then it sounds like the associate editor, in this case, was the one who was actually running around. Like, there's part of me where I'm like, dude, he's an associate editor. How could he be trying to be in any sort of dick measuring contest? You know what I mean? Like, I'm just sort of like, that suggests some level of autonomy that the that the title associate editor does not seem to have in my mind. But maybe I'm completely wrong. Associate editors code now because de- Marvel and DC associate editors are running books. And Which so, is. Yeah, yeah. It, associate editor is, you know, editor, we're not paying full editor salary. Yeah, exactly. That's the other part of it that I sort of twig to is like, really, like an associate editor running that, like that sort of means like the reason why you're not calling him an editor is, yeah, to keep them at a certain pay grade, I would think, which is just kind of like, Wow, like really? Like you could come in and intern for DC Comics and basically be like running, you know, one of the like be editing Batgirl as your like unpaid internship job. Like, I'm I'm not I'm not altogether sure that DC is going to be better than Tobaroff at running Superman at this rate. You know, Um, if you look at what DC have done with Superman over the last year, that's possibly true. Yeah, I mean it's it's really looking a little scarier there in a way. Uh, so yeah, he, uh, Brian Smith, what did he say? Uh, next time a little DC editor wants to show me how big his pe- his little pecker is, oh, that's right, over for good. He said, "Wow, really? He he snapped." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
is he also said, um, I saved the emails. Was uh, I walked off all three books. Can't wait to see any attempts to spin. I have every email. Yeah, he's ready to sling some mud, basically. He even said on Twitter that he mm-hmm. wanted to with Johnson next week, and he had a lot to tell him. <laughs> something I saw on Twitter yesterday that I thought was really appropriate and hasn't been discussed. Do you ever mm-hmm. you follow the Bizarro Stan Lee? Uh, yes. Did you see his Sort of, yeah. Did I see his what? Sorry. Comment about this? No. He was like, this is what happens when Rob Liefeld gets a movie development check and decides he can fuck the people he's working for. Oh. It's true. Hmm. Black, a Bloodstrike got announced this week as a movie. That's right. That's right. I did sort of see that and didn't pay much attention. Well, it could be. I mean, there is that concept of you're like, uh, yeah, I don't need to actually write four books and be bullied around by somebody, so screw you all, you know? Which... I mean, honestly, Liefeld is that guy. I can't blame him. The fact that he still gets work is is shocking to me. And who knows? Maybe shocking to him, too. He's like, Meh. you know, there is, there is no bridge that, too big to burn, essentially. So <laughs> I'll just come back years later. That's just it. Yeah, he will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There'll be some nostalgic craze and he'll be like, ah, well, OK, so the extreme relaunch didn't work out the way I wanted it to. My movies never happened the way my movies never happen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a new regime of Marvel. I'll go and do Deadpool again. Right. And he'll be right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I, this, this was... This felt like a real black eye for DC. In a way that, like, even Chris Roberson didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, we will see. It it To me, it has the makings of one. Because the Chris, Chris Roberson struck me as a bigger black eye... Because I don't know why. Because to me, I felt like the coverage of it was pervasive, as well as I don't know, at least a certain degree of Twitter talk. I think I think if if Rob Liefeld comes out and does tell Rich Johnson a bunch of stuff, and Rich basically spills a a, a not pretty picture of what things look like in the DC office, in you know, under the you know, even six months into the new Fifty Two or nine months in, I think that that's I mean, that's a big, big deal, you know? That that could have huge eye-blackening sound. But considering that Rob Liefeld was, I don't know, wasn't it only just a week or two before that he referred to everyone who worked on Deadpool as C-list talent? Yeah. You know, I think it's pretty easy in a way for the industry to just close ranks and be like, mm, nah, Rob's found God again, but unfortunately, by God, we mean cocaine, you know? And it's just very easy to close those ranks, I think. I don't you know, going to close ranks on this. I, yeah. I think the industry is going to fucking love this. <laughs> no, I'm serious, because this, this way, the people, the Marvel people who were decrying Rob for being a dick when he was talking about C-Lab's talent. Right. Love this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the only people in the industry are going to close ranks are DC. Mm. A lot of anger out there towards DC. Mm-hmm. From mm-hmm. Everyone at this point, I think DC has managed to piss off everyone. You know, I, I hate to interrupt you, Graham, but I feel like the sound has kind of been cutting in and out on you, especially at the beginning of your sentences. Um, are you as anything inconsistent on he- on your end for hearing me? No. 
Okay. Well, I'm thinking what I'm going to do is actually just call you back with the hopes of getting a slightly better connection because you will sort of like out of nowhere and then keep talking and then and then drop out of it. So I'm I'm thinking maybe I try again for like slightly see if we can get slightly better sound quality. Okay, cool. Okay, so I'll talk to you in just a second. Please hold that point because I am very fascinated by um, uh, where you were going with it. Okay. I'll talk to you in a sec. Bye. Bye. Number nine. Number nine. See, it actually kicked out on the first part of the nine, your first nine, and then number sounded more like umber nine. So... I, I don't know what to tell you. I you know I'm I'm going to figure out a way to blame you for it unofficially, but uh, officially, let's just say I I guess it's just a bad connection or something. I mean, it's, the- well, to, to be fair, the internet connection in this house has been really weird this last week. Oh, so has it's, it? it's possibly something to do with that. Yeah, that I I don't know. Mm. Well, in any event, I, hopefully everyone will be able to suffer for through it. We tried, listeners. What's been going on with the internet there? Is it just, I, it's just Yeah, it's just been, you know, you're watching something on Netflix and all of a sudden it'll be like, there's no internet at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been getting some of that. We tend to get a lot of that, unfortunately. Uh, our internet provider is somebody that I'm kind of utterly fed up with, but of course ED has had for years and has a pretty good rate, but... They it, it it just seems like we'll go a month or two and then what'll happen is we'll get some sort of shit connection um that will waver in and out and we essentially have to like unplug our our DSL modem for like fifteen, twenty minutes and reboot and then things will be fine for like another week or two. But it's really it's it's a pain in the ass, you know? Um I know you were uh mocking me for my first world problems from a few weeks ago, but it is it is. Uh, it's a little hard when we are talking, um, you know, via internet, and it keeps deciding that it doesn't like your first syllables. You know, that's, uh, that's I'll, a good thing. I'll just try and make some sort of tone before I talk. Oh, that'd be great! Boop. Yeah, Boop. before each each word, that'd be perfect. <laughs> before each uh, word, oh my god! <laughs> boop, I boop thing. <laughs> Oh man, this is the cold open to the podcast today. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. That's going to be oh, the absolute no. perfect way to start us off. So uh, okay. anyway, so, so this, yes, this is what I was saying. Yes, I don't think the industry is going to close ranks on this at all. I think this mm. plays into the narrative that everyone who isn't DC Comics wants, mm-hmm. which is DC Comics are fucking with the talents. DC Comics does not care about talent. I think mm-hmm. it's. It, this is the perfect story. And your mention of Rich earlier, mm-hmm. this is the story Rich has been dying to write for months. Right. Like, there's no way. I mean, Rob Liefeld could say, I have had great experiences on all of my DC books apart from this one issue I had with this one editor. And mm-hmm. it will be turned into DC Comics is fucking with all of its talent. Right. DC because, lets runaway editors ruin yeah, talent. Because that's mm-hmm. that's the narrative everyone wants to believe in right now. It, mm-hmm. And I genuinely think we're at that stage. I think we're at the stage where the tr- truth is less important <laughs> than the pylon. Okay, so... Everything but- is so... I was really tempted to say legitimately, but I don't know if it's legitimate. Everyone is yeah. so DC. Yeah, that I really See, think that there's just this pent up anger, mm-hmm. and where 
you know, Rob Liefeld's real situation is almost less important than the fact that we can all go, of course. Right. This is exactly what we thought. Well, to be fair, I mean, there are levels of uh, industry insiders higher up than us. Uh, and certainly some of the scuttlebutt that comes back is is that doesn't is that this, I mean this is pretty much in line with you know it's like I don't necessarily sometimes I've heard it from people who might have a certain bias um, maybe not such a heavy agenda to grind but a certain amount of bias and I don't I mean I, I guess what I'm saying is is I, I think that it to me there's a certain tail wagging the dog kind of thing it, it's sort of like. In theory, all Liefeld has to do is say this stuff and arguably, depending on what, what level of, um, I don't know, hyperbole he's going to, to go with, a lot of people are going to say, well, this is the case. I mean, in part because it's their their experience. Oh, no, exactly. You know I, I mean, mean? the thing is, mm-hmm. it's because it's the case. Yeah. Do you know, but that, yeah. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like, what I'm saying is it doesn't matter anymore how realistic or not realistic this is. Mm-hmm. Because it's what everyone wants to believe. And I, right. that kind of makes me sad because because of that, because everyone wants to believe it, mm-hmm. I think you make the whole thing more valid or more likely to be invalidated by people going, oh, it's the backlash. Do you know what uh-huh. I mean? Like it becomes part of this cycle, this to and fro, as opposed to actually looking at it being like, what the fuck are people doing? Right, right. Well, it's true. I mean, and Lord knows, I guess if we had if we had more people had more people stepping up and maybe that that is what will happen or maybe that's not what will happen. Maybe, in a, you know, maybe uh, Liefeld has no, you know, will cool down and basically be like, eh, I don't have really I'm not really that pissed. You know? well, uh, what I wonder is how much are Dan Dio and Jim Lee trying to get him to shut up right now? Uh, yeah, I would think I would. I, I can't believe that both of them are probably not on the phone with them today, being like, "What do we have to do just to get you to not say anything more?" Well, but see, the very smart thing is is that neither that's precisely the last way that they would spin it. You know what I mean? Like you would certainly because because even though that is what you want, that's really just going to fan the flames higher. What it's going to be is like, hey, I'm really sorry that things got to this point. You know, you, you clearly you're like a respected and valued colleague, you know, and and all the various other levels, like sort of the what can we do to make this right? The trick is to make sure that it's, you know, because you are Rob Liefeld, one of the greats and, you know, you you helped us. Uh, you know, start the new 52 out on the right foot and we want to be able to, to you know, if you don't want to work with us now, make sure that you work with us in the future as opposed to kind of being like, yeah, 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 Rob, listen, um, you know. Oh, no, no, they could not just go and be like, shut up. Yeah. Like, they, they, like, they can't do that. I, I agree. Right. Going and, and basically flattering him to death mm-hmm. uh, is is the smart thing to do. And again, yeah. Hey, Dave Bellows done the smart thing. Um, that is true. But that- yeah, I, 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 there is almost no world in which I do not think that someone is trying to do damage control in this as we speak. Oh yeah, just right. just to try and get him not to say anything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes. Sadly, that makes a lot of sense because uh, 
Although, again, I don't know. I just kind of, I kind of have this thing of like, uh, and, and I don't, it, this, listeners, this may sound like I'm dissing some of you, but I am not. I found myself very much uh, at the opposite end of some of the comments from a lot of people uh, about the Walking Dead lawsuit um, that we brought up. I was, you know, I, I particularly thought that considering, um, you know, we had people in the comments actually refer very specifically to paragraphs and to law to sort of talk about sort of why it would be justified to be at least a little suspicious of, of Robert Kirkman, you know, not moving right into the, you know, he's a witch, burn him, you know, stage of things, <laughs> but certainly at a level not of like, earth, Jeff, look at that beard. <laughs> it's true it's true he's a very scary bearded witch uh i you know i just I, I my i i walked away from that thinking that um to an extent were perhaps by the nature of of our of the hobby you end up finding yourself a, a little too emotionally attached to certain concepts i guess and unwill and it's hard to let them go you know what i mean to the to the extent of like you know hardly surprising but like you know D, some of the stuff that's come out about dc's handling of say i don't know before watchmen or some of the people with the new 52 levels during launch i'm sure there's some other things in the mix where people are like ah, that's really crappy. There's an extent to which the people who are predisposed to be like well what do you expect you know dc is a castle of turds you know and the other people who are like well we don't really know what's going on you know what i mean like i almost all but feel it doesn't matter what's projected on the screen what factual information's being shown the people are basically going to find themselves going yeah but i don't really see how that's relevant to be fair i think that happens I think it happens in everything. I don't think it's just in comics. Yeah. I think it happens in anything that where people get emotionally invested, right? Um, and and I, you know, I, I'm I'm becoming increasingly and depressingly aware of my own biases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you mean more recently because of things, or yeah, because more, of what no, more recently have said? because yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, before Watchmen is is one of those things where I'm, you know, I I have no. I have no horse in the race in that I don't. I'm not especially fond of Watchmen, mm-hmm. but I feel like I was looking for reasons not to damn DC for it mm-hmm. on some subconscious mm-hmm. level. Sure. Um, and again, actually, with the Superman thing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just the idea that I think the DC is inherently better than Mark Tobarov. You know, mm-hmm. it's entirely irrational. Right. It is is technically a bias in a way. It's completely a bias. <laughs> you know, I have a bias against Mark Tovarov and some strange bias for DC in this situation. Mm-hmm. 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 So, but it, it, it is a very strange thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I was surprised. I think I was surprised about the Walking Dead stuff because... I think I've always written off those biases in my head as like, you know, you've read these characters since you were a kid. And Walking Dead isn't that old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Walking Dead is, what, 10 years, I guess? Mm-hmm. Less. Eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I guess I'm just surprised that people are that emotionally invested in it outside of in the story. 
Well, I have a, I have a theory about that actually, Tell which me. is uh, my theory, such as it is, is that um, uh, after after a certain point, you know, once you grow out of the who's stronger, you know, Hulk or Thor, you know, Superman or Spider Man kind of thing, you get into this realm, I guess, of hmm. I think just our natural predilection to take sides. Like once you don't want to be that person who's like, oh, well, Batman could clearly beat Captain America's ass in a fight, you know, like you, once you grow out of those, that realm of value judgments, you would think that essentially mm, we would then be able to abandon value judgments, I guess. But I don't think that that's true. And I do think that, for me, I find uh, as an unfortunate, an unfortunate side effect, and I think actually this is literally applicable um, at most of popular culture now, as that as just the absolute ridiculousness of that Kristen Stewart story. You know, like she like kissed some other guy, and like the the press went insane. You know, um, is this level of we can't say, oh, you know, Batman is is better than Spider-Man, but it can be easier to be like, oh, but the editors of Batman are better than the editors of Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Or there's kind of that thing of like, sure, Jeff Johns, he's no Grant Morrison. You know, like you start, you take the things, you take this imaginary, I mean, and let's face it, if you grow up in the superhero world from a young enough age, your natural disposition is is that one thing is better than another thing, and it is it has to be proven usually by the exchange of fists. You know what I mean? And at a certain point, that just gets, I feel, ratcheted up to where everything has to be a conflict, and in the heart of that conflict, you see the true nature of these people— and it also allows you to validate or vindicate your judgment of how you feel. And I think, uh, so I think that that's, like you said, Walking Dead hasn't been around for that long. And I don't think that, you know, again, there's those of us who basically like Walking Dead and there's those of us who basically don't. And, uh, and to whatever extent that you are resigned to me <laughs> on that <laughs> issue and vice versa, I think is fair. But then once you get into that weird element X of like, but is Robert Kirkman great or is he a dick? Like, is he the guy who saved the industry or is he like a complete copyright rapist? But, you I, know, I guess the thing is, why can't he be both? No, agreed. Uh, I, I just think that, you know, like I said, I don't feel Nuance like that's doesn't play well. What's that? Nuance doesn't play well. Well, it's not. It, it may be that it doesn't play well. I think that there's just I'm, there's a lot of factors. For one thing, I think you, people get tired of hype, and but rather than really being at that stage where you're alert enough to be like, God damn it, I'm tired of Robert Kirkman being talked about as being the savior of the industry. When something comes up, you can be kind of like, see, I knew there was a reason why all that talk was bullshit, you know, rather than just being like, you know, like sometimes I feel like there's a strong reluctance, I think, understandably to to basically sit there 
at at the thing and go, you know, maybe spending the last three hours of my life reading comic news sites is a little bit of a mistake. You know what I mean? Like you don't That's really say my that. Life. You know? <laughs> right. So if you only spend an hour reading Graham stuff, this is the best of all possible worlds. I love how you lent into the microphone audibly to say that. I know. It's very important that I, this is my emphasis voice, you know, and then I can go back to that. I'm, Your emphasis I'm very voice excited. is kind of wonderful. I think you should pull out the emphasis voice all the time. Also, if it only takes you an hour to read my stuff every day, you're reading very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, some days you have long stories. That's you usually true. have 14 pieces up. I don't know. I mean... Listeners, for those of you who want to make Graham feel either much better or much worse, and time the oh, amount of time no, it takes to no, read all of his please, posts in one day. Please don't. Please, God, <laughs> don't. <laughs> Everyone will be like, I get through all your posts in like half an hour, and I'll be like, I spent hours trying to I know, that. exactly. Everybody's <laughs> like, did you? I, that, al- that always gets me when people are like, I read that comic in 10 minutes. And I un- completely understand. But part of me is also like, some poor son of a bitch spent six weeks drawing that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, ag- agreed. And I think that's kind of that. Um, I don't know. It, it depends on how you set it up. Like, there's a way in which it's, it's, it's supposed to be, you know, because they're definitely when I read the manga Shonen, Shonen Jump Alpha, I'm like, you know what? A lot of this is is designed to literally pull you through the pages very quickly. You know, there's a lot of things that they do. So, like, you just kind of right through it. On the other hand, there's also times where I'm like, Ugh, I, I read 120 pages, and I think I've been doing that for 45 minutes. That may not bode well in terms of my ability to actually remember and retain, um, you know, or or even, you know, enjoy or understand the work but um but there's also ways in which there's also ways in which i feel having read some comics this week where i'm like i i i I think that sometimes reading five taking five minutes to read uh, a comic can be really generous you know i mean i think that's the other problem oh names uh okay let's see here see i was afraid you would do this to me oh come on you're um, not gonna say that without me <laughs> asking you to name names son of a bitch okay for me i would have to say that i read the 12th issues of wonder woman uh flash and batwoman mm-hmm. and you're still reading batwoman did we not both have a conversation where we talked about how we'd given up on batwoman are you back yes are you back yeah, yeah. The batwoman no. train? Mm-hmm. What happened was um, somebody was so lethargic about quitting the Batwoman train because I have it signed up on my sub box that when I saw it, I guess last week, I was like, oh, fuck. Can you just I was I was literally making the can you cancel this for me? And then I realized that this was the arc that J.H. Williams was back on. And part of me is like, "Okay, I'll give it another shot. And this is the thing that's kind of sad. Like, in theory, these three issues Wonder Woman 12, which is the same team that it's been, you know, all the way through, Brian Azzarello and Cliff Chang. Uh, Flash number 12 actually has Francis Manipal and Brian Boccoletto both writing and drawing slash coloring it. And Batwoman, you know, they have the, you know, their A-teams on the books. And, um, and the thing that's sad is I found myself being... 
they were just incredibly they were incredibly fast reads and i i felt like there wasn't a lot there even as i found myself thinking okay i must not be reading this correctly like to the extent that i read batwoman 12 i i have i took the most time reading batwoman 12 but that was only because i was lingering over how lovely the art was you mm-hmm. know but honestly for me at this point having been utterly in the weeds over the last few issues of Batwoman like reading it now like it didn't it didn't feel like a very satisfying issue considering it's got Wonder Woman in it and you know it sort of splits the narrative between Batwoman kind of not doing much and Wonder Woman not doing much as an introduction like like they were lovely lovely pages but in terms of the amount of story content I really was like that felt like about six pages of a Marvel comic book, you know, I, I mean, a, a Marvel comic book from 1976, I should say, you know, um, I mean, is it done much, much better than a Marvel comic book from like 1976? I mean, yeah. And I mean, in some cases, the art looks absolutely amazing. But in terms of me being like, why do I care? Really? I I felt like I didn't. And I think when you don't care, there's, I mean, there's a weird thing. If you care a lot and you get really dragged in, you can just zip right through a comic book, but then you sort of sit down and reread it because yeah, you, yeah. you know, but also even if you zip through, if you really care, it still mm-hmm. feels worthwhile. Right. Do you know what I mean? You're like, Oh my God, I can't believe all of that happened. Right. Right. Whereas like, I mean, art, I think arguably it could be said that, uh, Batman Incorporated number three, three. Mm-hmm. yeah, which uh, which I picked up this week and, and hadn't read on any sort of torrentine or anything. I came to it absolutely cold. Uh, I thought that that also was a book where, you know, very little quote unquote happened, but there was at least sort of a sufficient complexity to it and a certain amount of... Uh, emotional investment that I had that I was put it down. I was like, for the most part, I enjoyed that and would like to read it again. Um, you know, even though it's, you know, it's far from like a dynamic streamlined machine, but it was still, it was still okay. Like, um, I'm jumping all over the place here, but I picked up the betrayal of the planet of the apes trade, Mm -hmm. uh, last week and read it. And Oh my God. I mean, I knew it was going to be pretty looking, but good Lord, what Gabriel Hardman does is astonishing. Like, Have you read much of his other stuff? Uh, no, because I know that he's done other stuff with uh, Parker over on Hulk, I want to say. Yes, which is um, completely worth tracking down, or at least would be if you didn't have your Marvel thing. Every, yeah. Everyone else, uh, definitely worth tracking down. So is the stuff he did with... Um, Hardman on Atlas or Agents of Atlas, whichever it was called when he was, Hardman was on it. Um, yeah, really good stuff. I th- Hardman's Hardman's a great, great artist. Yeah, and he really nails uh, what what is awesome about the Planet of the Apes iconography. And I guess I've been very dubious about the betrayal of the planet of the apes. Cause I had heard various good things about it. You know, it's, it's co-written by Hardman and Corinna Bechko. Um, 
and looked good, but I don't know. I just, I, I felt very like I've been a little Planet of the Apes burned, I suppose. And there was also part of me where I kind of felt like um, it would be very hard for the, for someone doing the franchise to be able to hit the sweet spot of hitting all the little grace notes, but also doing the thing, but doing something new. And I actually have to say, for those people who are Planet of the Apes fans who have actually held off, um, Betrayal of the Planet of the Apes uh, is the is the four-issue miniseries. Honestly, I think they padded the trade paperback out a little bit. Like, the, the cover gallery was, like, a little overextensive. And I was kind of surprised there were only four issues in this, in this $16 trade. But... It was it's 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 incredibly enjoyable. And again, I had that thing of it did not take much, but just being able to introduce the few little very short grace notes to make the characters stand out ended up making them really compelling. And so I really did finish it up going, okay, if the same characters are in the next miniseries, I want to read this. I want to see where this goes, you know, because it really is kind of a. Here's here's my story. question: mm-hmm. Is this not the lead into the ongoing series that Gabriel, Gabriel Hartman and Karina Bechkos are uh, are in charge of? I it might be. This is the problem. I haven't been tracking it, and when I jump to to find out, I sort of assumed that this was just simply the first four issues of an ongoing. But I think what happened was they followed this miniseries with Exile on the Planet of the Apes mm-hmm. with the same team and continuing the same characters. And so I'm just not enough to know in the know to know if they're doing the sort of um, uh, BPRD approach of sort of an ongoing series disguised as as you know mini you know connecting miniseries, mm-hmm. or if there's an actual ongoing at this point. There, there and, is an actual ongoing. I, I'm okay. I'm looking up the information right now, and it is apparently going to be. I think it's just called Planet of the Apes. Great. And has that launched yet or no? Let me try and find out for you. Because I am sort of like, okay, this is great. How do I get more it, issues? And it course, starts next month. Ah, okay. So in theory, I just have to get those individual. It was one of those things where it's like that classic, like, um, I finished this trade, I think it was the last night. So I had already been to the comic book store and I, I had that little buzzing in the back of my brain that was like, I want more of this now. And I went to Comixology and they were not on there. And really? That surprises me. I was going, that, uh, that sh- that's what I was yeah. going to say. I was going to be like, surely it's, you know, you can get them digitally. Yeah, but no, I went and I searched under Planet and I think, is that, is, is, did I search on anything else? I definitely, they definitely weren't there under, what I was able to find was there is a um, Planet of the Apes uh, free prologue comic to the movie the rise of the planet of the apes Mm -hmm. i had no idea that there was like a five issue i mean you know it's probably a you know eight page weekly type thing but i'm like oh there's 40 pages of free content just sitting right there but not the actual next series and i'm like it i i think it's one of those like weird i don't know if it's an oversight or it's very much an idea of like well let's see if we can get people back into the shops for for the new the new book, the new ongoing first. And I'm like, but there's stuff that I'm missing and I don't have the information. And, and I went on, it went online and admittedly it was just a fast, lazy search after comiXology. And I like Googling betrayal of the planet of the apes. I was like, Oh, okay. 
it's four issues and I can very easily find reviews of those four issues, but it was a, it took a little more digging than I was willing to do to let me know what's next. Betrayal, then Exile, and then the new series quote will be said several years after and won't require any knowledge of our previous work. Hmm, interesting. Folks who have been following along will get to see the fallout of the two minis. The two minis I've had for several of our main characters, including Dr. Zayas. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they do a great job with it. Uh, and they really did do a fine job. Again, for people who like the original Planet of the Apes series, I I kind of recommend checking it out, which is, uh, again, was one of those things where it was almost too near and dear to my heart to actually be able to look at. But when I saw it on the shelves, I decided to pick it up. I was really glad that I did. Oh, anyway, and part of this idea of this is this idea of like, even though it did feel a wee bit on the skimpy side, it did. It was only just in terms of price point per pages, which I know other people don't necessarily look at or mm-hmm. consider. It was a really great four issues. Um, and, and there wasn't there wasn't much that needed to rehook me, but it was a great thing of between Hardman's very very gorgeous art and some very smart storytelling choices and char- especially the characterization choices. I was I was just I was right back there. Um, I have to ask, talking about really nice art and really nice storytelling choices. Did you read the Rocketeer, the Mark Wade's Chris Samney? Series. No, 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 no. I highly recommend that. And that f- first I, issue came out yeah, last week, was th- it? This no. week. Uh, this week. Just okay. yesterday, yeah. Okay. Cargo of Doom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's lovely. Um, there yeah. is some slight missteps for me in terms of dialogue mm-hmm. that it doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't quite ring true. But honestly, everything can be forgiven when you see the art. <laughs> It yeah. just looks amazing. I mean, Chris Omni, we have gushed about him a lot in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's doing really good work in Daredevil. This, mm-hmm. this, I don't know what it is. This just seems so much more in my wheelhouse, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something about it that I'm just, I am completely just every single page of this comic. I, I just loved I just thought it was incredible, incredible, incredible artwork. That's fabulous. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting because you had mentioned that uh, in in another way that I did not easily find um, when I went to Comixology, uh, you mentioned the fact that the, the Dave Stevens work um, is available very inexpensively on Comixology. Listeners, and, this will not be the case when you hear it. It's a three-day sale, which started yesterday. Okay, but you know what's weird is I didn't find it under the sales section. Like when I cl- went to Comixology in the little corner, there was like, click on the Rocketeer sale. All the stuff that they showed were the eight issues, like the two Rocketeer anthologies, you know what I mean? And and collections. Um, so it was something like 10 titles grouped under that that section, but it didn't have the Dave Stevens thing listed. I actually had to go somewhere else to find it. And yeah, sadly it was I mean it was only two ninety nine, which is amazing to me. For like hundred and twenty two pages, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's- which I'm just like and it's Dave Stevens, so it's kind of like I, I had to get it. Although interestingly enough, after I got it, part of me was like, Okay, well that was a phenomenal deal. But um you know, Dave Sims Rocks here as I remember liking it so much at the time, but it was also such a 
promise that never fully arrived mm-hmm. while he was he was doing the title. And I, I, I admit that I've been a little reluctant to pick up the Rocketeer anthology issues or this Wade Samney thing, in part because part of me is like, yeah, like I have this knee-jerk reaction of like, oh no, the Rocketeer, it's great. And then I think about it, I'm like, is it really that great? Well, the, the Rocketeer is one of these really weird comics, because you're right, it's a promise that never came to fruition. It's It's... It's a great high concept. The weird thing is, the high concept isn't Stevens. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's King of the Rocket Man. That's all it mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the visual is King of the Rocket Man as well, except right. he's added a jacket. Um, right. But it's weird because Stevens' art and execution on what he did was just mm-hmm. glorious. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah and, and, it, but even, you know, even if you take that away, the concept and the visual is still so great that it's really hard to screw up. Right. And so he right. does sort of become weirdly trans transcendental. That's not right. Transcendent? That's the word I'm Transcendent? Transcendent yeah. is the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. A transcendental Rocketeer is an entirely different comic. Um, <laughs> no, but, but it's, that, that's kind of awesome, actually. <laughs> I, I would love to see that. Uh, so, no, the, the way it's uh, Samney comic is spectacular. The anthologies are incredibly hit and miss. Mm-hmm. I mean, really amazingly hit and miss. Right. Um, because there's not really enough there there to do shorts with, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, that's it. It really is. I mean, the thing that's weird is, as you mentioned, King of the Rocketmen. Stevens, <sighs> Stevens was almost like the world's like earliest and greatest fan fictioneer in a way you know what i mean because he was like i'm doing i'm doing the you know attack of the rocket men i'm taking that design i'm taking betty page i'm taking doc savage you know and the shadow and pulp covers in other words it was very much like everything that he liked he sort of threw in and it just sort of seems so it seems like such a highly personal mix kind of um that it seems really hard to duplicate and because there really is, as gorgeous as it is, so little of it. Like, he would rather throw something new at you than sort of go a little deeper on the stuff that he already had. That you just kind of have this, like, really awesome collection of knickknacks. And I see what you mean. It's, it's almost impossible to tell a short story with that unless your short story is, and that's how this knickknack was actually this knickknack kind of thing. You know, and I haven't read the anthology stories. I'm sure nobody did that which is good but um yeah the anthology stories really felt like incredibly affectionate cover versions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which i guess is exactly what you want from something like that uh but it feels incredibly throwaway i mean just yeah amazingly throwaway and it's entirely dependent on what you feel about the people doing it what right. what I like about the Wade Samney thing is it actually feels like a story and not a oh god Dave Dave Stevens was great, mm. mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's I mean it definitely has that you know Betty mm-hmm. shows up and you're like it's Betty, but um, but there's also a story, mm-hmm. and also there's a story that feels outside of what Stevens brought to it. Mm. Uh, it, it it for me. And this is going to sound really weird if you consider what the Rocketeer was, but it feels like the Rocketeer meets Indiana Jones in mm-hmm. this issue. And that's right. not a million miles away from what the Rocketeer was. Mm-hmm. You know, the Rocketeer 
here is pretty much King of the Rocket Man meets Indiana Jones. Um, right. But right. it's got it's got the I don't know the the sort of shady pulpy bad guys if that makes sense mm-hmm. of of an Indiana Jones in, that or at least something that feels closer to Indiana Jones as we recognize it than the Rocketeer. I'm right. possibly we- explaining this very badly. People, if you're interested in nice comics, just pick this up for the art alone. But you'll read it and you'll understand what I'm getting at because I'm not describing it well at all. I think you are. I think it's, unfortunately, once again, Graham, I've done my evil job of framing everything in such a negative framework that even though you're doing an accurate job of describing it, uh, it sounds more negative than you intended because I... Good job. Hey, well, can I actually be negative about a couple of comics then? Oh, please do. Yes. Dr. Manhattan, Jeff, got mailed to me. Dr. Manhattan, issue one, by J. Michael Straczynski and Adam Hughes. Here's what I'm going to say about this comic. It looks lovely. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything. Adam Hughes' pencils and inks are lovely. I think it's Laura Martin on colors, and they're just great. At first, actually, I had to go back and check to see whether he colored it himself. Uh, It's Laura Martin, yeah. Steve Wan's Mm -hmm. letters deserve particular praise from me because they look like Dave Gibbons' letters from Watchmen. Oh. Unlike the other comics, and I think that's really nice. I, I really mm-hmm. appreciated that. Beyond the visual niceness, I think we can best describe this comic as a turd. <laughs> it is terrible. It really? is really mind bogglingly bad and I say that as someone who read Rorschach which was also mailed to them mm. and that comic is really bad and somehow this comic is worse Rorschach wow. for me is really appallingly bad and sort of quasi uh, crime noir pulp right. but it also kind of stays away from Watchmen as much as it can I mean mm. it's Rorschach so it can't but mm-hmm. it's not like you know and here's the behind the scenes element JMS goes all out Mm-hmm. All out with, uh, here's the bit you didn't see. Here's the bit that Alan Moore didn't show you. And it's horrible. <laughs> it, is, it really, really reads like fan fiction. But it reads mm-hmm. fan fiction from a really, really, really smart kid who's never left the house. <laughs> it's just, oh, oh God, really appallingly. Because it looks so good, mm-hmm. the shitness of the story feels like a betrayal. <laughs> As opposed to the actual betraying part, which is pretty easy to overlook in some ways. <laughs> you know what I mean, Jet? <laughs> Don't you bring your your or watch with orthodoxy in here, young man? That's right. Sorry, that was not cool. Uh, so yeah, um, sort of like you glance through it and you're like, "This looks amazing." Right. <laughs> and you're like, "This is." I bleedingly bad. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's so. People, if you want to look at a nice comic, that's the one. Uh, but if you also want something to fulfill all your worst ideas about Before Watchmen, it's also the one. Mm. It's it, interesting. It's a beautiful, terrible, terrible, terrible piece of shit. Just because the story does not hold up on its own or because... I Watchmen, you would go through this entire story being like, what? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what? 
What's happening? What? Who's this? What? What's going? Huh? <laughs> All of, oh, here's the bit you didn't see. It says nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. It does nothing with any of the characters. Mm. Beyond, I mean, it totally plays on the, hey, you recognize this guy, right? Hey, you recognize this guy, right? Hey, it's that moment. It's a bit just before then. And that's all it can do. Mm-hmm. It can mm-hmm. do anything else. Uh, it's possible by then the series that, you know, you'll be like, well, it was a beautifully constructed crystalline structure. But <laughs> it's, it's not. It's a big poo. A big poo. Um, I have to admit, and it, this is changing the subject a little bit, but uh, uh, the because I, of course, will not read or support any of the titles, but, um, you know, Comixology will show you like three pages, you know, it, when you're looking at a title, like in some cases. So those, to me, the first three pages of Rorschach were just gorgeous as hell um that is a lot closer to what i would have wanted if i had wanted this sort of thing you know what i mean um just gorgeous did you so and you you must have i mean it's not as lovely for you as dr manhattan but you do think it looks all right right i think i think the art is lovely for what it is he's never really been my cup of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah, I don't know. It's. I think I've liked his art in the Batman Noel graphic. Mm-hmm. Did. Oh gosh, mm-hmm. that might be it. It's like I can mm-hmm. read his art, mm-hmm. actively like it. Um, Interesting. And I actually really have a problem with the letters in the Rorschach series. Oh, huh. Well, I only saw the first few pages where it's the it's the typewriter, I suppose. There's something um, that just seems just, like I it's not that it's difficult to read because you know I can read. Uh, mm-hmm. Just for me at all. Mm. Uh, and Interesting. And it really like it almost seemed like it was fighting the art as opposed to I think I feel like good art should good lettering rather should be part of the art and and should mm-hmm. the art and I felt that the lettering in Rorschach stood out too much. Mm. Uh, mm. And kind of dulled down the art, made the art seem secondary, which I think is a, a, a real problem. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Fascinating. So when I, you know, when I, I, I was sort of distanced from the art to begin with, and then that happens, I, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have problems just getting through the book. I, I, I find it, you know, visually, I want to say offensive, but that, you know, that sounds like I'm making some sort of uh, aesthetic, uh, not aesthetic value judgment. As opposed to right judgment, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I I really had problems with it. But if you like, Lee, what is it Bermejo? Berme- yeah, I, I always say Bermejo, but I'm I'm sure depending on which part of I want to say is he Spanish or Central American? It's, it's not mm. American. <laughs> yeah, I just sort of assumed that that yeah, there's probably many ways. There's probably many ways to pronounce it. Only one of which is correct, and. Uh, statistically speaking, will not be the way that I will be pronouncing it. So, um, yeah, for me, I mean, I, I think Bermejo's work uh, it comes and goes. Like, I remember liking the looks of it when it was on something absurd, like I don't know, Batman Death Blow or s- some of his 
the other pieces that he's done. But for me, it's just more the idea of um, doing a story with Rorschach set in the sleazy, what appears to be the sleazy 70s of New York. Um, it always works for me. Like it always, that that is that aesthetic choice makes a lot of sense for me with that character, you know, because anyone who makes the connection between, you know, Rorschach and, and taxi drivers, Travis Bickle, I think is always on the, the right road as far as I'm concerned, but also the degree to which, um, you know, at, at least in, in the, the, few covers that I've seen and that pretty amazing first page where New York is being seen, you know, through the clouds and it's essentially Rorschach's face. Um, I do like how the choice to make the book so um, visually solipsistic, I guess, you know what I mean? Like it, it, yeah, it just seems like it, it might actually, it might have something to say, and I don't. I don't know. I I will never find out. But I have to say that in terms of if there was a book that I was reading out of the Before Watchmen stuff, I think that probably would be the one that I would I would find myself at least trying to give a try to. Um, you know, uh, another comic that I read and did not appreciate. Mm-hmm. Amazing Spider Man six ninety two. Ooh, I was so hoping that you had read that because I saw it at the shop and I was like, oh, I do hope the Graham picks this up and has read it because it seems uh, relevant to the you know our ongoing conversations. Tell me, sir, what did you what 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 as opposed to wait what? Well, first off, let me say that seemed like kind of a pricey issue. Don't you think, considering how much of it was kind of reprinty, you know? Like, I sort of flipped through it. It's three brand new stories. One of which, which is full length. Oh, okay. Is Oh, are the other two? Oh, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. They just seemed like, they just didn't seem... Dean Hashbill and, uh, and, some, and someone else. Um, yeah. Right. And Joshua Hale Falkoff and Nuno Platy. Yes. Um, let's see. It's it exists. Uh, I have mm. been really surprised by people saying on Twitter, you know, this is the book you know, I've always waited for. This is you know, this made me love Spider Man. I never understood Spider Man before because it seems it's not that it doesn't understand Spider Man. Uh, mm-hmm. It's so weirdly alien to anything I'd expect from a Spider-Man comic. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, this is the 50th anniversary, really? This is uh, okay. I, I, I guess you know where you're going with this. Um, this is the issue, listeners and Jeff, who hasn't read it. Uh, where Alpha, Spider-Man's new sidekick, gets introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, it is possibly. The heaviest handed with foreshadowing comic I've mm-hmm. in my life. Uh, because Alpha immediately is a dick. And you mm-hmm. have to say things like, he might be the most powerful person we've ever discovered in the history of the world ever. You've heard of Omega level threads? This is an Alpha level thread, which, by the way, is where his name comes from. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it is so amazingly obvious that you start thinking, well, it, there's a swerve coming. 
Right. You can, in the first issue, have Reed Richards turn around and be like, this is the most dangerous man I've ever seen. And, you know, then follow through with that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You, you, if, but I also have no faith that it won't. Because right. I feel like all the way through this issue, at least, the, the Dan Slott Humberto Ramos story, the entire theme is, wasn't it good that Spider-Man had morals? Because if Peter Parker didn't have morals, he would have turned out like this guy, and this guy is a dick. <laughs> and that basically seems to be as far as it goes. Right. And it's it's really, it's very odd, because I feel that in order for us to buy into this at all, we should like Alpha. Mm-hmm. Alpha is astoundingly dislikable from like mm-hmm. the second page he's on mm-hmm. um, and you've, you have all these things like you know he's been abandoned by his parents who don't really care about him he's not really accepted into the social circles and I feel like all of those should make us sympathetic towards him but then right. open his mouth and you'd be like oh, oh god I hate you <laughs> you're the right. self-centered you know objectionable character that I can imagine um, and I wonder if that's a statement in itself. Yeah, it might be. I mean, or it just sort of seems to me like depending on depending on how long term this game is, it seems to me like a good way to at least duck your expectations is have you hate Alpha right out of the gate, then have you sort of slowly grow to like him and appreciate him, have Peter's mentorship actually pay off and do some dividends before it all gets snatched away and then and then it's back to you really hating the character you you know what i mean i read enough dance lot comics i don't think dance lot plays that sort of long game hmm. from everything he's done in his solo spider-man so far i mm-hmm. i don't think that that's the way he's going to go at all um but the other thing is like the plot makes no sense Mm-hmm. Even if you can buy the idea that Peter Parker has an experiment that goes wrong, that gives this guy powers. Mm-hmm. For what then happens is the, like Reed Richards and Hank Pym come in and they're like, he's the most dangerous person in existence. Peter Parker, you should mentor him. Wow. Yeah. Which makes no sense. And you even have uh, Peter Parker being like, hey, Giant Man has a superhero academy for this. And we were just like, yeah, but he's no good with this guy. You should do it. Wow. Which makes no sense. Like, you even raise, yeah. Yeah. you know, you raise a completely valid point. And then blow it away by, like, that's not going to work. Right. Without right. supporting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like it's in a rush to get to where it's going, I guess. And it's, right. not, it's not taking the time to make any of it believable. And I think that's a consistent problem with Slot Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. It's really excited about his core concept, and his core concepts are strong. Mm-hmm. But his execution is always flawed because he's like, oh my god, where do you see this? Well, but it's also, I mean, as far as I can tell, uh, at least from hearing you talk about it and seeing the releases, he's pretty modular. You know what I mean? Like, it sort of seems to me like he introduces his his idea, you know, and then it's not it's not like he builds to it slowly. It's like, okay, here it is. And kind of like this whole alpha thing could be wrapped up in like one trade, essentially. I you know? pretty much, I'm sure it will be because this is also Spider-Man 692. That means seven mm-hmm. eight issues away, which because it's twice monthly is four months. Oof. 
Wow, that's right around the corner. So I think that Alpha is going to come to a head before 700. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It could be. I and, and again, it just sort of seems like, yeah, at least from you talking about it, it always sounds like they want to... Um, that that slot keeps trying to do the the mini event in in the titles. You know, it's kind of like one event after another, and he's kind of in a rush to make it all. You know, essentially all bundle up neatly into into one trade or something. Um, so yeah, it does seem like Alpha more likely than not should wrap up pretty quickly. But I'm I don't know. I it it does seem like the wrong way to do it. I guess. Uh, just, but that's probably for me because I'm a big fan of the old, the old s- slow burn subplot, you know, which is which is you know very out of favor. I just mm-hmm. very out of favor in Spider-Man, in uh, Amazing Spider-Man. I feel like other books mm-hmm. are back into it. something I found really interesting. Seeing everyone talk about their Marvel Now books, or mm-hmm. seeing people talk about the value of the one issue story, kind of story. Hmm. As you know, as issues as things in and of themselves, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which you know kind of makes me a bit optimistic that you know maybe maybe these will be good. But weren't they just making that noise years ago when they introduced the point ones and more or less completely profoundly misunderstood the concept? Maybe really where are they? I don't know. I feel like they were int- they were talking about the jumping on issue, but as opposed to an issue incomplete in and of itself. I maybe. I, I'm probably misremembering as well. I mean, certainly, God knows there was such a long period of time where they were talking about the point one issues that they might have started saying one thing and then it morphed into. But I kind of felt the whole idea was like, yes, this is like you can jump on, not know anything about this character. You're going to get a, you know, a, I thought the idea was it would be a done in one, but it would introduce the threads of what was going to be coming forward in the title for the year to come um, is how I remember it. But my memory is is pretty shoddy, so you know what I mean, Graham. No, I just wanted to see how long we could keep that silence going. Damn it! Don't do that when I'm worried about the microphones. That's that's a dick move. <laughs> uh, oh man, what have you read that you liked this week, Jeff? Well, before I do that, let me go on and complain about some other stuff first. Uh, because I feel that's hopeful. Well, no, I had a great complainy tie-in before you went on to talk, which is that you were talking about the Rocketeer, uh, and especially, <coughs> you know, the Rocketeer meets Indiana Jones kind of feel to Wade and Samney. I just saw Captain America: The First Avengers through the miracle of Netflix. Watch instantly yeah. two days ago. I thought you saw that last year. No, I think I saw Thor. I never saw Captain America. I think Thor was what I saw last year. What did you think? Ah, it 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 was frustrating to me. I have to say that I thought that uh, honestly, I thought that it had an absolutely in- shockingly strong first third, uh, and then fell apart from then on out. Like I really like I I could be like the the first all the setup of like you know Chris Evans as skinny dude you know Steve Rogers as like the guy who won't quit who has gumption and hates bullies like all of that was so really perfectly set up and then once he becomes you know the super serum formula comes in and they have to figure out 
kind of how to get from there to where they need to be for the end of the movie, they throw all this stuff in and completely ignore the that whole hoary screenwriter chestnut of, you know, like the the story is propelled by your mate title by your protagonist and what they want. And so what Steve Rogers wants in the first third of that movie could not be more crystal clear and works. And then once he kind of has a buff body and a six pack, he goes on to kind of not want anything anymore. Like in any sort of long term arc way, it's kind of like, oh, I guess I want to dress up as Captain America in a USS show. You know, oh, I guess I want to save Bucky Barnes. Oh, I, I guess I want to form a special troop to fight the Red Skull in ways that are like so super short term. There was just all of which is to say I ended up excruciatingly bored uh, on the last two thirds of the movie, which is to me surprising considering how rapidly they worked to blow everything up and how much fan service they were shoveling at me like almost faster than I could chew. The end. I think. Are you there still? I am still there. I'm. I'm huh. saying. I'm just listening to your rants about the film. I'm trying to remember how I felt when I saw it because I have a very. Uh, I have really fond recollection of, it, and then I started to watch it on Netflix over the weekend, and mm-hmm. stopped really quickly. Hmm. Interesting. And I, I was just kind of like, oh, I guess I don't like this film as much as I thought after all. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you? When did you stop? Really early on. Hmm. Uh. It was before the super serum stuff, definitely. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. But then, as we said, I I am freaked out by Skinny Chris Evans. Oh yeah. I I find him. I find it very obviously fake. Hmm. And so there, there's something about it that's just I'm like that's that's weird. That's that's not right the entire time. Um. So yeah, that 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 was a problem for me. But yeah, I really I did. Uh, I remember. When I saw it last year afterwards, I was like, "That I much preferred that to Thor. I thought this is a much better film." And started right. watching it, and then I was like, yeah, "I don't want to watch this again." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do think that uh, I, I don't know. It's tough. Like part of me is like, I want to say. I mean, like I fully discarded at least half of Thor while I was watching it. Like the action scenes didn't mean two toots to me, but I sort of liked the acting interplay of the characters so it didn't really bother me much but here i think um i i and yeah and i have to admit i didn't didn't mind skinny chris evans at all although i thought weirdly chris evans is for a guy who i think is has so has been like such the kind of secret ace in the hole for so many movies um he was pretty bad in Captain America. And I think, honestly, Joe Johnston, who directed The Rocketeer way back when uh, and has done a bunch of other movies, has never been on my list of directors that I like or trust. And I think I felt like watching this, I'm like, oh, I see why. Like, unless you get, you know, an actor as bulletproof as essentially Tommy Lee Jones, who will do his Tommy Lee Jones thing and carry enough of his Tommy Lee Jonesness enough to make you appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think any, I don't, I, I felt like none of those people were getting enough direction. Like they all just seemed bad. Like by the time the howling commandos come around, I'm just like, really? Like these guys look like recruited cosplayers and they more or less act at that same level too. But <laughs> Evans himself was like, Hmm. 
not not good. Like for a guy who used to be able to give lines a lot of snap, like I really hope they do something between, you know, in Captain America 2 and uh, and Avengers 2 to make him at all tolerable. Because I really was between this and like Avengers, I just kind of thought, oh, he just didn't have a good storyline or enough to do or say. And I'm like, nah, I think the character is a bit of a dud the way they have it conceived. They're going to have to work on it, you know? Well, I think so. they're stuck in the, the traditional Captain America is everything that's right. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Which when you start from there, you end up with a really dull character. And so if Chris Evans is playing him from point of, this guy is just a good guy, mm-hmm. I think you end up with something really blunt. Well, but, yes, I agree. Although some of the things that I liked when they were setting up were kind of, you know, all this stuff where it's like, you know, they basically spend the first third of the movie having, you know, Stanley Tucci wave his finger at him and be like, you have to be the compassionate guy. You have to be the caring guy. You can't be the bully. And then, like, that's never followed through in, in the next two-thirds of the movie. It's not like Captain America is a dick or anything. But, yeah, he becomes bland. And there is a way in which I honestly felt the first third is like, oh, here's a guy who's kind of – who is because of the hard knocks, you know, if you necessarily buy into that theory, which I, I wish I did – um, you know, is basically incredibly good-hearted, but is also very smart and also has an almost rueful sense of humor. I think that all would have been great, but at a certain point, you know, you just have Chris Evans talking like this, and it just was like, like the guy who I have has managed to win me over with charm in far worse movies than this really was like, okay, I mean, he can't play the same like you know, comical super stud character, but have him do something. He And I, the, that was just gone. All this stuff. I mean, there were a lot of ways in which I really thought like the, the way they knit everything together more or less worked. Like, okay, you have Bucky in at the beginning, you have the Red Skull tied to, you know, Captain America's origin, you know, like all that sort of worked. It doesn't necessarily stick closest, but in sort of in the same way that you felt like, um, you know, Batman Earth One was actually a pretty sensible way to reboot Batman. I kind of mm-hmm. thought that this was a sensible way to reboot Captain America until the last two thirds of the movie became absolutely goddamn boring as shit. And I'm like, but things are blowing up every five minutes. And I'm like, but you don't care. Now, admittedly, I'm coming from this from this super weird, ultra sensitive spot of. Edie and I, as you know, but the listeners do not, uh, went to the drive-in down in San Jose over the weekend and saw a double feature of Born Legacy and Battleship. So I feel so sorry for you on both of those levels. <laughs> Although I have to say, I have, I, I am like Jeff. I can't believe you liked the Born Legacy. Yeah, I can't either because that was That's that a was steaming pile of poo. And also, yeah, w- it's it's anti-story. Um, it okay, is no, Jeff. Okay, okay, okay. No, 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 no. I, I don't. Okay, here's the thing. Based on what all the stuff that I just said Ed, about Captain, what America, happened to Ed Norton's character, Jeff? Oh, who cares? You know. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, this is going to sound really weird, but I don't. I, I. Um. Uh, okay. Here's the thing. Born Legacy is a bad movie that is 
absurdly padded in a horrible way and has, I, I, I absolutely grant, easily the worst first hour I think I've ever seen of any movie, ever. Like, if we weren't in a situation where we were in a car and would actually have to physically back the car up and drive away, like, I don't know how I would have made it to the end of the movie. Absolutely excruciatingly bad. Um, but, and and here is the thing, I, I it just, it was one of those situations where I cared, and I don't know why, honestly, apart from the natural charisma and ability of, of the actors, I like Jeremy Renner. The whole thing with Rachel Weiss, once the whole crazy lab shoot 'em up sequence came, I was kind of in her corner. And so this is going to sound weird, but for me, I always assumed, although the story, it takes forever to get going. Like it really starts way, way, way too early. By the time those two characters get together and you realize that Jeremy Renner needs those pills and Rachel Weiss needs to survive, I didn't really, those were the only two parts of the story that I cared about. And when they got, both of those parts got delivered, I was like, okay. Like, now, I'm not saying. I am shaking my head over here. I know, as well you should, as well you should. But because I did, I just, I don't know what to tell you. It's literally the case of I sat there hating that movie for the first hour or 45 minutes or whatever it was up until, I don't. I don't even remember, like that sequence where he's rest where he's like wrestling the wolf or whatever, like all wolf that puncher. Shit. Oh, yeah, it was hilarious. You know what I've just realized? Talking like mm. listening to you talk. Mm-hmm. Born, Leg- <laughs> you're like, Born Legacy. You're like- Born Legacy is the axe cop of movies. It kind of is the axe cop because you like midway through it just drops the bad guys and it's like oh mm-hmm. no I've got something even better. Jeremy Renner's like a super spy. What about a super, super spy? Super, super spy is going to kick his ass. Let's just have a chase sequence for an hour. And it's, yeah. it's totally, that's our logic. Like, it's very, you know, you know what would be awesome? Doesn't make any sense, but you know what would be awesome? If there's a super spy and they have a motorcycle chase for half an hour and they keep on, like, shooting each other and falling off the bike and then getting back on the bike and they just keep yeah. going forever. It's fucking awesome. And that, yeah. and but you have that, you know. It's awesome if Jeremy Renner wrestles a fucking wolf. Yeah, and, and right. it's that we, sort of film. It, it really mm-hmm. like it, logic means nothing. So I wrote, I wrote the um, the thing for time about how the Born Legacy was anti-story. Yes, and what yeah, was re- fascinating to me was for some reason it got really big this weekend like three days mm. after it got posted it mm-hmm. must have been linked somewhere i don't know where it's been linked but i started getting not even hate tweets but mm. passive aggressive tweets <laughs> uh, which were really funny because people are just like well i think when you said ed norton you meant mad damon and i was like mad <laughs> damon's not even in the film <laughs> of course i didn't mean mad damon what are you talking about but so many people took umbrage at the idea that I guess a movie has to have, if you start off with one villain, you can't just switch to another villain midway through with an explanation. Like, they, well, you know, they, were, they were really like, why did you even want to know what happened to Ed Norton's character after that? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was like, because, like, you spent half the film with him up until this point, and then he yeah. just disappears. And, like, the end makes no sense, because it's just like, well, we got rid of the big bad guy, now we can go in a boat. Right. And, you know, if you've been paying attention to all during the movie, you're like, but what about the guys who sent the bad guy after you? 
Like, are they not still going to be looking for you? Uh, if they can find you in fucking... I mean, where do they go? Is it Thailand? Where do they go yeah, for they, the drugs? They end up, they end up in Manila. Yeah, uh, if they, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. if they can find you in Manila, why can they mm-hmm. not find you anywhere else in the world? It's just... Right. It, it makes no sense. But people were just like, I don't know what your problem was with that. You know, okay. Well, two things that I think are really funny is, is that, one, I read your piece before I saw the movie, thought that it actually made tremendous amounts of sense. I <laughs> just saw the movie and you disagreed. No, well, no, 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 no. I mean, here's this, uh, the other thing that I thought was great was I read the comments and at least the initial wave of comments uh, Jeff, on the never, piece. never read the comments. I know. And you're not going to want to hear this. We're largely in agreement with you, like way oh, no, more no, than no. I was used to seeing for <laughs> usually one of your pieces. You know yeah, what I mean? No, no, no. I, yeah, I saw so I was like, wow, there's a lot of people who – so I really did walk in there going, okay, Graham didn't like it. A lot of other people were incredibly disappointed. I, I watched it. I'm sitting there, again, in the car. We're there eating popcorn and like really bad microwaved pizza that they have sold us. And I'm like – uh, it, it was uh, just excruciating. I mean, you know, in such a – you know, Jeremy Renner's character is so Mary sued for the first – hour as i think they have to do i guess but is that like you went over the mountain you're two days early and you've got you just seemed so awesome you know kind of thing but I, also i love I, that he didn't really get an introduction mm-hmm. like by the end of the film i still really have no idea what is going on with this jeremy renner's character yeah well and i, I think i guess and, they're leaving yeah. that for the sequel i i mean i guess i mean they do this whole thing of like um yeah, they want they were I don't know. I mean, you know, cuz again, it's that whole like they threw in that little flowers for Algernon swerve, you know, and it cuz I wrote cuz I really did spend the first hour going like I don't I'm really at first I was like, wow, I can't believe that they were trying to like, you know, do like how can we create that sense of desperation that we had for Matt Damon in the first movie? I know we'll make him a total junkie. You know, I was kind of like, that's an odd choice, you know. <laughs> and it but weirdly, I don't know what to say. After the first scene or two scenes with uh, Rachel Weiss, and once the two of them interact, I'm like, I'm. I was just. I was just on board. I. D- I don't know how to describe. And I'm. I don't say. I do not mean to say that in any way. To subs- subscribe that uh, the Born Legacy is a good movie, especially when you look at the 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 trilogy of films that it came before, which I love. Uh and and I guess if I was a super purist, the whole fact that they figured out a way to essentially turn those characters into, you know, Terminators um, is, you know, almost kind of a, a, you know, a natural, like, you either look at it as like a complete betrayal of the premise of the films, I guess, or you see it as like, well, it helps explain how insane everything got by the time of the last movie. But really, honestly, just for me, it was just kind of like, oh, okay, I enjoyed it. Even the motorcycle chase, which we ended up laughing our way through the last 10 to 15 minutes of, I just enjoyed because I was laughing my way through the last 10, 15 minutes of it. I'm in no way saying that Born Legacy is good. Like you said, it could be a pile of shit. I, I mean, I'm willing to argue that it is a pile of shit. It just was not quite the level of pile of shit that I was expecting. And weirdly, it was it was honestly entertaining to me. In a way that Captain America, weirdly enough, which I would say like structurally had some of the same problems in some ways, 
in other ways not because at least I found the first you know 30 minutes 40 minutes of Captain America compelling um but you know fell victim to the same thing which is uh that that um you know there's just no through line for the characters or any sense of where this like even the idea that the story is going in a certain direction you have no real reason why you should care about it in any way mm-hmm. i i think for me just the weird answer is the way that Jeremy Renner played his non-character and the way Rachel Weiss played her non-character and the way they interacted together had me emotionally invested in a way that I sh- technically should not have been, you know? It's a it's a compelling case for why you should cast talented people when you get these things in there, you know? Um so and then then of course that's followed up by Battleship which was so so bad. Did you ever see that? Did you no, see Battleship? No, I, I did not. I, oh my god! I I don't think that's going to happen. See, Battleship in some ways is almost closer to Axe Cop the movie because it is. I mean, it's absurdly convoluted in the way that they tried to get to all the things that they got to. But half of the enjoy in quote unquote enjoyment is just how absurd. Like they literally had the battleship sequence you know which is does, like, does someone say they you in. sunk my battleship at any point no. in the film what what happens that's is they a, say something disastrous like disastrous oversight they they say you're not going to sink my battleship so that's that, that's not the that's same ha- dude do, do you well, watch that's the do thing. you watch um the colbert report uh no not he part. he just did a week last week or it was whatever his fake pop festival was that they're on a battleship when they're doing it. Uh-huh. And the first episode features Stephen Colbert calling in and playing battleship with him. Uh-huh. And he goes, whatever, you know, F five. And Stephen Colbert goes off stage, comes back with a giant fucking battleship peg. <laughs> comes <laughs> and puts it in the ground. <laughs> I was like, hits and I just thought, that's what I wanted to see in Battleship. If Battleship had had a scene like that, I totally would it comes dangerously close. As you pointed out, they do indeed release the enormous pegs. Yeah, which I hadn't – I had seen the trailers and I would always saw these weirdo spinning things. I mean that's the thing that's – I mean Battleship is – it's just too much movie and the majority of it is terrible. And it's fascinating not having seen a Michael Bay Transformer movie that – like I reversed engineered watching that film going like, oh, okay, like Peter Berg is convinced himself he's going to make a classy Mi- Michael Bay movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, and which is Oh, what a, what a what a problem that is from the very start. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um so it's I mean, it really it, it's a shame that it was too terrible to be entertainingly terrible. But there was shit in it, especially in the last 20 minutes, where, again, I was just laughing at how unbelievably stupid and over the top. And also how many convolutions they could get to try and create something close to, absurdly close, to a battleship scenario. You know, the battleship game, considering you have invincible aliens and you've got the U.S. Navy. I do love that they're like, we're making a battleship game, a, a battleship movie. What can we do? Aliens. Yeah. That that's the jump where someone should have been like, wait a minute, right. hold on, friends, let's right. come back a minute. Yeah, uh, I have to be said, if you are watching terrible movies on Netflix, um, Transformers, the most recent Transformers, is on there. 
I know. We've talked about it, and I really was like, because I had a couple of days off uh, between this and the podcast. I was uh, having the podcast off and taking some time off from work. I was like, I should sit down and watch it. And it, honestly, after Battleship, uh, I was kind of like, well, I'll watch Captain America, and then maybe I'll watch Transformers. And then I was like, you know, maybe I should watch some good movies for a while and kind of build up my <laughs> Remind myself the cinema whatever. is not terrible. Yeah, is not by function, this sort of horrifically degraded crack whore kind of situation. Um, yeah, so honestly, I mean, I would – they so they were all varying degrees of terrible movies. What I'm fascinated is the ways in which – I'm fascinated by bad movies now, and it's perhaps it's unsurprising that there's like – considering they spend $200 million on each one of those things, is they have little bits that – almost work or little bits that are kind of cool before they sink into just, you know, it's not, none of those movies sadly were like a complete turd from beginning to finish. Although, you know, I heartily empathize with anyone who walked away thinking that was the case, you know, but you know, I'm just shocked. I'm just kind of shocked that I, I came out of that going, huh? I like, I, Maybe my tastes have degraded for movies. I don't know. I would like to think that's not the case. You know. You thought that no. You thought that the Born Legacy was all right. Your tastes have clearly degraded. Have clearly degraded. Well, when I say all right, I just mean that I enjoyed it. I don't necessarily mean that. That's I that's it that's me. fine. That's enough. That's enough wrong, Jeff. <laughs> that's enough wrong. Okay, I think that's fair. I just I also want to keep it straight that there's things that you enjoy. Because they're wrong, there's things that you enjoy despite they're wrong, of which I would say this is the latter. And then there's the stuff that you are secretly convinced is good, and you spend a lot of time trying to convince everyone else. The Bourne Legacy will not be in that last category. I definitely agree. So you're telling me I shouldn't make a case for you to watch Bunheads then? I've seen it on Hulu. I um, hmm. I, I, I have a thing on spin-off that I think is just going live uh, about why Bunheads is like my favorite show of the summer and completely not what it was supposed to be about and far better for it. Oh, and interesting. It is genuinely decompressed television, but in such a way that completely works with the story it's telling. Hmm. Tell me more. Uh, short version. It got sold. It got advertised as there's four teenage ballerinas and they're in ballerina school and it's wacky. And it's mm-hmm. so not that show. <laughs> the setup in the first episode is this Las Vegas showgirl uh, is romanced by this guy. She gets drunk. She marries him while she's drunk. He's like, let me take you away from this terrible life that you hate. I will take you to my town, which is called Paradise. And it is Paradise. And she gets there and he dies. Wow. Dies immediately. He dies in a car crash the night they get there. And so the rest of the show is, if it were a normal TV show, Mm-hmm. She has to work for her mother-in-law who hates her. Mm-hmm. Wacky hijinks. And instead, it's this really continually and purposefully uneven show with fucked up pacing about this woman who cannot forgive herself for her husband's death and thinks that everything she gets involved with goes horribly, horribly wrong. And by the end, the last episode, it's proven right. <laughs> really? Yeah. The very end of the show... Is like she so across the ten episodes, and I'm completely spoiling it, but 
tough luck like any like any of you are going to watch it uh, across 10 episodes she basically gets involved in the community she does start working for her mother-in-law in this dance studio she gets uh, emotionally involved with the, the four ballerinas who were the ones advertised yada yada um, mm-hmm. And it's a big final show, and it's a big deal. And she's, you know, she's helps everyone prepare for it. And she, thanks to wacky slapstick, maces everyone. I think she's spritzing them with water. She spritzes them with mace, which is plays for, played for comedy for like ten minutes. And then the last half hour of the show is her in hospital, being told how she has fucked everyone's life up, having a dream where she sees her husband who refuses to answer whether she has whether she will continually fuck everyone's life up whether she is herself a mess and should deal with anyone in real life at all and then when she wakes up from that dream she comes out and all of the parents of the ballerina school are demanding that she leaves and the end of the show is her walking out the door as the ballerinas ask her not to go and she's like everything comes to an end end of the show wow it's brutal I mean, it's really genuinely heartbreaking because the last half of the show is just everyone telling her that she's a fuck up. Uh, 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 interesting. Now, is this is this the show that's by the Gilmore Girls? Uh, and for the is it, it, you're like, it's Gilmore Girls. It's Gilmore Girls light and mm-hmm. much darker place. Well, yeah, very dark. Although, doesn't it seem? Dark in kind of a melodramatic and unrealistic way, but it but it worked for you, right? Though it, the way it gets around that for me is that the pacing is so weird, and the, mm. it's quite. I mean, it's really a show about grieving, mm-hmm. and there's this the sense of disconnection, and I, this is possibly me projecting my own grieving experiences onto it. But there's such a sense of disconnection, mm-hmm. and of not that you know, it's not the melodramatic. My life can't go on. It's dramatic. Mm-hmm. Everyone else's life is going on, and I am stuck. Mm. Like, I, I can't get out of this this feeling. I can't connect with anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel closed out by what has happened. Uh, hmm. And seeing that really, I mean, really slowly, mm-hmm. over 10 hours, mm-hmm. and then having the slap in the face the last half hour, I thought was stunningly good storytelling. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it, that does sound like something did uh, I should check out because I'm assuming I know Hulu has some of the episodes. Um, I assume you just watched it on TV, TV on the on the real television. Yeah, yeah. And what what channel is it on? Is that an ABC Family show or what is that? Yeah. ABC Family, the channel that brought me Gilmore Girls to begin with. Ah, full circle indeed, sir. Full circle indeed. Hmm. Time because you have a hard stop like now. Uh, I've I've got it as four twenty, so I, it's four twenty now. We could talk for another five on mic and then five off mic. Let uh, that for your yes five minutes. But I'm not boring people about bunheads. What? Tell me something good, Jeff. Well, let me tell you. I thought uh, for those people out there, uh, Saga issue six from last week was great. Uh, I enjoyed Fatal, uh, number seven, uh, Batman Incorporated, number three, Mind, MGMT, number four. I think that's probably my favorite issue so far, and it's pretty much sold me on the, yes, I'm going to read this book no matter what. Uh, and then, ironically enough, I was kind of bummed out that Glamour Puss is being 
canceled. <laughs> and this was the last issue, which I happened to find out, I think, the day before I bought it. Uh, uh, the idea that Dave Sim is going to go off and work in the Canadian oil industry um, for his pay is, to survive is kind of mind-breaking to me, I guess. Um, but I'll be really sorry to see Glamour Puss go because it, it, was, it just got stranger and stranger with each issue, even in a way that made it, I'm sure, morally and ethically unsavory, I have to admit, I was really excited when I found out a new issue was coming out and then very bummed when it turned out that the last issue was going by the wayside. So It's like Butcher Baker. Yeah, the Butcher Baker thing. Okay, so we only have a few minutes, but what the fuck was up with that, Graham? Tell me. What the fuck? In, in what sense? Um, My understanding of it is it sounded like uh, Huddleston and Casey uh, uh, sniped at one another. Like Casey made a couple of like uh, kind of passive aggressive little comments in the interview. Huddleston oh, like, came back. And, it wasn't really what's that? aggressive as much as just outright throwing him under the bus. Yeah, threw him under the bus. Huddleston protested and was like, well, screw this. I guess this isn't working out. And then afterwards, Casey had this really interesting spin of like, oh, no, this wasn't meant to be. This is a complete thing unto itself. It wasn't meant to be a completed issue. I just I, I just wanted you to have that feel of like, who knows what could happen at any time. But no, this is it. I figured you guys would figure it out that this wasn't a continuing thing. But it's OK if you didn't. Anyway, get the trade. It'll be great. You know, I was just like, is I just was like, wow, is that me? Or was that like the worst attempted spin ever? Which is what it I don't know. Graham, was it the worst attempted spin ever? I I don't think so. I I think we've yeah. seen far worse attempts at spin. Um, <laughs> but also, I have I kind of I'm not sure I disbelieve that it was not planned as the last issue. I think mm-hmm. it would have been planned as the last issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe not from issue one standpoint, mm-hmm. but I don't think the series ended because they had a tiff online the week after the issue came out. Mm-hmm. Um. I think it probably ended because it was not coming out. And according to uh, Mike Huddleston, it's because he couldn't make a living doing the book. Mm-hmm. So the, the mm-hmm. throwing under the bus happened when Joe Casey essentially went, yeah, it should have come out on time, but Mike Huddleston didn't finish the books on, on time. Ha ha ha. Right. Um, and Huddleston pointed out he couldn't afford to. He had to right. make a living, so he had to take other jobs. Um, right. And I think that's probably what did it more than anything else. I don't think that it was an, an online tiff that, that cancelled the book at all. Well, uh, yeah, I guess that's true. I suppose that's really the case. Although I, I didn't – so Huddleston pretty much – because it did seem to me like Huddleston said that this was the last issue anyway. You know what I mean? Like I kind of felt like that was stuff that sort of happened – after the fact, I, I sort of didn't, didn't Huddleston make some sort of reference to, I mean, he definitely mentioned I wasn't getting paid, but didn't he also make some noises like communication had, had gotten bad or something like that or no? Yeah. And I, he did. And he also said something along the lines of, well, I guess the collection isn't happening, mm. but mm-hmm. they must've fixed that. Cause I know the collection is happening. Right. Which Casey then went forward and said like, no, 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 no. This was meant to be limited, but the collection is happening. Which to me is kind of 
Like, but your collaborator, co-creator, I mean, I think the reason why he didn't think it was happening was basically because he didn't want to have anything to do with Casey at that point and was completely pissed off. Um, and I'm sure after they talked about it, it was like, no, if you really want to see some money from it, we have to get this into a trade. Um, but I just, I, I thought that was a very odd kind of a, a like kind of a sour note to end on and interesting considering what for myself who lost an incredible amount of patience with like the and here's a new teaser image and now another teaser image you know that kind of built into its own thing on the the comics internet mm-hmm. i was like huh this is a very much a um the opening was hurrahed and then the closing was kind of like sort of quickly passed over, which maybe that's only fair, but there's, for me, there's a certain amount of like, well, no, let's, you know, let's kind of look at what's going on here. Like what, what does that mean? You know? Um, What do you mean? What does that mean? Well, I think for me, does it mean that a book with that amount of buzz inside the direct market if Huddleston was not actually making enough money from it to put money, you know, to put, you know, food on the table, does that mean that essentially the only way that you're going to see, unless you're, unless you're at a Brian K. Vaughn level of indie book launch, how, how big a sacrifice do people have to take when working on these sorts of books, especially something that looked to be a critical darling on the internet, like Butcher Baker? Well, how how long does that have to be? Do do people have to wait before they see some sort of return on that? Here's my you know? ultimately cynical uh, response to that. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to get people um, making a big deal out of that question because I feel like we've had that conversation twice, once with Phonogramma, once with Casanova, where the creators have been very forthcoming about the fact that they didn't make enough money to keep it going. Yes, but I would say that neither of those books launched with quite the buzz that Butcher Baker did. and I could. Oh, I, I would definitely say that Casanova did. Mm-hmm. And what's the point? I think Casanova maintained, if not grew, that buzz. In a way, the Butcher mm-hmm. Baker didn't. I honestly feel that no one was talking about Butcher Baker from issue three. Yeah, I think. I, I think. I also think that after it, well, I think issue one turned a lot of people off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, for all we know, if it had sold to the level it sold in issue one, continually, maybe they would be making money. I mean, right. I have, I have no idea. I've not looked at the sales. Mm-hmm. But I feel that, I feel that if we were going to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. It would have to be about a book that actually sold well and could be demonstrated to do so, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. I, I, I think I, I see your I point. Think, I think you're sort of conflating buzz with sales. And I think that's... No, 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 no. I think that's... I agree. I, I guess what I'm saying is is that, to me, there's a bigger question of how how much can buzz translate to sales? How much can buzz... Oh, um, oh. You know, I mean, clearly, thank goodness, a book has to stand or fall under its own strengths. I think. Yeah, but you could demonstrate that with so many books. I mean, think mm-hmm. of all the critical darlings of the big two. They're almost mm-hmm. all books that get cancelled. Right. Yeah, that's true. But they're also being they're also being maintained by 
uh, external editors, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the necessarily the creator's choice, unless it is at some point, to be like, well, let's end this, you know? But I do think that there are ways in which... I just I feel like the the waters have been muddied a little bit by by Butcher Baker and I feel like it would be to me I I wish that there had been a bit more sifting through those muddy waters to talk about cuz like you said there's there's Phonogram there's Casanova both those books for example are both being you know like you said there's a lot of candor about the money that they are or aren't making and people are still continuing with them like I said, I kind of felt there was more about the nature of buzz, how it can translate to sales, what it means in the case of having a book be misrepresented by the way that it was marketed and the way it came out, which for me, I sort of felt a little bit with Phonogram, I know, certainly the first series. <clears throat> Excuse me, with the first series. But yeah, I guess I guess for me, it just sort of, I felt like, hey, Joe Casey's everywhere and he's saying great stuff about this book. And then it's kind of like, oh, hey, it's being shut down and let's move on, you know? And I'm kind of like, I guess that's the nature of the news beast, but I feel like it's something that I would like to see. I wish I wish someone in the know could do a little more analysis with, I guess. I I agree in theory, but don't think Bridge Baker would be the book to do it on. Right. Because I, I, your point I, about I, honestly, I honestly think the buzz was gone by issue three. I kind right. of think the buzz was gone by issue two. Right. Right. As people got excited and then more or less checked out. And that certainly makes sense. I mean, the people that I saw reading it and talking about it were were dudes that don't that are kind of far separate from from Buzz, I guess, I suppose. You know, part of me is like, no, but Tucker Stone, in factual opinion, was talking about every issue. He carries a lot of weight, you know, and I don't really know that I, I, I think that that would probably not be the case. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Tucker. Yeah, I don't mean that in any form of disrespect at all, but uh, just the, the, the necessity. And I suppose if we had another half hour, that's the part where I would drag you kicking and screaming is talking about who does – is there somebody who, who you know is able to – you know who has that sort of a, – a is there a tastemaker in the, in, the, in the comics blogosphere, do you think? Oh, I don't, no, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think so. there's tastemakers within the comic blogosphere, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. I think if um, yeah, I think if Tucker Stone is talking about something, then I think mm-hmm. other people are going to pick it up. But I think there are going to be people who are paying attention to the comic blog as figure. Same with the right. brothers. I don't think people outside that. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's anyone on the comics internet, full stop, that mm-hmm. can genuinely affect sales. Mm. I think that, well, that's I what, think that's right. where we should leave it, people. People indeed. You should you should say whether you agree or disagree. And yes. any of you any of you who use this opportunity to uh, falsely flatter us, that that's not helpful. Whoa, disagree, Dis- <laughs> disagree. Jeff wants to be flattered. I do. God damn it, Jeff, it Jeff can... wants to be told that he will affect sales. Yeah, it's an important Actually, thing. That, when... that's, that's a question. People in the comments on SavageCritic.com, because I should say that, supposed to be able to get iTunes. Although, in iTunes, you can tell us too on Twitter. Um, yeah. Has Jeff or have Jeff or I ever made you buy a book? Not, yeah. in, the sense, not in the sense of like, we have ordered you to the book and you bought it, but have you ever bought a book because of something one of our, or the other has said? Yeah. I, I definitely know there's a couple of you who have mentioned it, and it's good, but it would be good to get kind of a nice overview. Also, are there people... Uh, 
that yeah, whose recommendations you do tend to trust implicitly. Not just us, but yeah. Let's 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 rap about it in the comments. You know, um, let's rap with cop. Ah yes. Well, and on that bombshell. Um, <laughs> okay, listeners, we'll be back next week, and then the week after that is another scoop week because this time I'm going away. Hooray! Yeah, do. And- All right, hooray. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 of course, I think that would be a good thing. Everyone, the fact that everyone knows this many weeks in advance is astonishing, too. Okay, we'll see you then, everyone. Uh, Graham, did you want to? Oh, sing as I Bye! See, it's such a beautiful, easy, mellifluous tone. And it's easy to find in the Audacity recordings. <laughs> Everything I, should... I would want. Bye! <laughs> Bye! <laughs>